Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and just praise your name in song. Lord, I thank you so much for the talent, um, for the players who played on this stage today behind me, God, that they, that they long to serve you by using what you gave them and just usher us into um, just a wonderful, wonderful throne room where we can praise your name. God, I pray that the words we sang this morning, the words we said in prayer just now, and even some are still praying, God, that the heart behind it, the soul behind it, the, the feelings behind those words and songs, God, it's just a, a pleasing sound to your ear. Father, I pray as we um, go through your word this morning that there's so many people that are going to be um, involved in this message. And so I pray, God, that we do not leave this place the same. God, that your word, as you promised, will transform. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Howdy. Howdy. Tell you, you know, about this time every year, I think I get to preach around the summertime in June. I believe it's every year. And usually... Usually I bring like a camp message and present to you kind of what the students are going to be learning about with camp and their theme. Um, usually also we get the camp materials way in advance, like the early May, middle of May. This year they're running behind. In fact, we got the camp materials in. Mickey texted me Thursday when I was in Houston. They came in. Uh, so I don't really have a chance to go through the curriculum and, and present to you what they're really dealing with. But I do want to present... The main scripture, this year's camp for our youth is finish. And I'm not sure where the direction that they're going to go on, uh, but it's based on Philippians 1.6. And it says this, it says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, I know you have a different version of there. And that's essentially what the camp verse will be for us, is Philippians 1, 6. And so I want to kind of expound upon that for us. And what does that mean for us, that God who began a good work, what is that good work, and how is he going to continue it and finish it on the day when Christ Jesus returns? So I started to think about what we go through in life. And it is a lot that we go through in life. But we're in the middle of uh, the summer blockbusters. Like we talk about a lot of superheroes. I mean, and believe me, I've seen a ton of superhero movies. I mean, probably the last time I was growing up, it's just something that was just fun for me. And I took the words. The word hero is just a great word, isn't it? Like, everybody loves a hero. Whether you read about it in the social media or you see it on the news or, or read about it in a magazine, everyone loves a hero. And when you hear those stories, when you see those stories, it just puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? And when you add the word super to it, it just makes it that much more special. So the word hero is super attractive. And we're, like I said, we're right in the thick of it. We just had a big blockbuster movie came out last month. I mean, it has made billions already. Billions. And uh, i tell you what, those big bucks, you think about like comic books being made into movies, like with superheroes, and you would think that kids and teenagers are driving the profits for these things, but it's not. It's you and I. It's adults. That's where the biggest money draw is coming from. And it's adults that go to what we call a Comic Con. 
It's one of the biggest conventions in the world. If you've never heard about it, here's some pictures that adults will go and dress up like their favorite comic book hero. And let's see the next one. It's crazy sometimes what they can do. I mean, some of the makeup artists they, that people are doing personally is fantastic. Like this guy up here. Um, all right. It, that's Yeah, that'll stay with you for a while. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, but it's the adults that's driving these things. And a good superhero movie doesn't get old. I've seen some of them so many times, over and over and over again. Like the old Superman from the 70s. And I know it probably goes further back than that for a lot of you. Uh, but man, I just watch this over and over and over again. The new Superman and the newer Superman. And we have a lot of that with Batman and Spider-Man. have had like three different retakes on their, on their movies. Um, it always makes me think, what it would be like to be super? What would it be like to be a superhero? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would be your superpower? If you had one power to guess, what would it be? I mean, I know one thing. I'd like to be a hero. Wouldn't you? I, I, I don't want to waste my life. I want to have a life of purpose. I want to have a life that matters. And how many of you in here can relate to the fact that you want to live a heroic life? Let's see, raise your hands. Who want to live a heroic life? Yeah, most of you. But at the foundation of superheroes, and I've watched a lot of them, and, you, and maybe you've seen a few of them too, at the foundation of who they are, especially the most popular ones, we get a lot of pain and mess that goes along with their super and their hero. And what do I mean by that? They are just one big mess. We think about Spider-Man, okay? Spider-Man... What is his origin story? Spider-Man, his parents were murdered. Okay, he lives with his aunt and his uncle died and he may have even had a hand in that death. Pain and mess. What about Batman? Batman, a life of trauma based upon the death of his parents. And it comes in through all of the things that he does. Even in fighting crime, it's always apparent in his life that pain and mess of losing his parents was murdered in front of him we think about the hulk anger issues right uh next next week we're going to be celebrating father's day what about luke skywalker well, he had anything but a good good father right and so all these superheroes that we could keep going have just a bunch of pain and mess and and we're as much as i watch these movies and i think you know i would like to be a superhero and i would like to have superpowers that's all we focus on is we want the we want the hero, but man, we don't want the pain and the mess that goes along with it. We don't want that. We want to just shove that away. We want to just forget the fact that even those superheroes that we love so much in the movies have a past that's just dark. Some of them still live through it. When you hear the word mess, what do you think of? Let's let's hear some some of your think of the word mess. What do you think of? Kids, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. What else? Youth minister's office. Youth minister's office, yes. We'll get to that one a little bit. What else? <laughs> What's best for you? When you hear the word mess, we think of a lot of things, right? We think about uh, family, right? You think about kids. You think about... <laughs> locations, right? 
A lot of us never said, though, the one thing that says, they never said me. And so we always want to put it aside. We always want to say, the, the pain and the suffering and the mess, let's put it over here. Let's focus on the hero. When I ask you what is a mess, when I when you think of the word mess, you never said, you know, that's my life. No one said that, that I heard. And um, let me tell you about my, my week, just really just the last few days. We, I went to Houston to, uh, to court uh, to probate my father's estate. And we are getting my father's house ready to sell. And it, it's, you know... It needs, the whole entire house needs to be painted. It needs new carpet. And so me living here is tough to do that, but every chance I can get and go down there and, and paint and do things like that. So after all that court mess on Friday, we realized we need more paint. We only had two gallons left and we needed a ton more because we only did about two and a half rooms worth and there's way more to paint when you have kitchens and baths and everything. And so we, I get, we go to Walmart to get some paint because like the cheapest for us is honestly the best at this point. We're trying to get rid of the house. And um, we go to Walmart, and we have the formula from the old can. And you painted, you know, they put the formula on the top of the can, exactly what it is that previous Walmart made for us. And so we go to Walmart and say, hey, we'd want, we want this exact formula. Give us five gallons of it. And we want another can. We want this paint color and exactly the formula of this, all right? Guy makes the paint for us. We go home. We open up the paint, different color. Now, how does that happen? I called the guy and said, hey, man, these formulas are completely different. Like, what is going on? He said, well, when I put the formula in, I realized my machine couldn't do that. So I just color matched it, and it looked okay to me. <laughs> I know. I was there. And, and so he was like, are you kidding me? I said, that's like 100 bucks worth of paint, a little less than that. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take this paint back and, and, and do it right, but they couldn't do it, so we had to go to another Walmart to do it. And that, you know, by the time all this is transpiring, to get all this stuff done with all the things, you know, six hours have passed, and I'm still not painting. So we're on our way home, uh, to my dad's house anyway, and my sister calls me, and she says, you'll never believe what I just found. I'm about to start crying. And I was like, oh, what? You know, at this point, you know, the sinking feeling like, did a pipe burst? Is there a leak somewhere? Is there something that's going to cost us thousands of dollars to just to sell a house? Please, no nightmares at this point, because I just went through the Walmart fiasco. You know, what else can go wrong? And she said, I was cleaning the baseboards to get ready to paint the wall, getting all the dust off the walls, and the, the baseboard just caved in. And you'll never realize what I saw in the wall. I'm like, oh, no termites i know again i was there and, and the termite i'm like okay well let's just let's just see what's really going on let's find out and so i go there with a hammer and i just knock out the sheetrock i said we're gonna have to do it anyway knock it out from what i could tell it's localized i don't know um you know, nothing else was damaged. The wood is perfectly good, as we can see. There's nothing in the in this thing. So we sprayed them down, got rid of the stuff on the outside, put some stuff down. And, and man, I tell you, yesterday, um, Grayson was cleaning his room uh, with the help of everyone else. And Emery comes out to me as I'm unloading some stuff from my, that I took from my dad's house and said, you should see Grayson's room now. It's no longer a hot mess. That was his words. I said, that'll preach. Uh, <laughs> and so I guess what I'm saying is I'm a mess. Um, 
the things you see, my outer world, the things you've heard about this morning, I, I, they're, they're pretty messy sometimes. And if I'm really honest, my inner world, no, that's a mess too. Because I know, I know that I can pray more. I know that I could be less bitter at times on situations. I know that I could show less anger. I know that I could show more compassion. I know that I could read my Bible more, without a doubt. <laughs> and even though I theologically know the truth, okay, about this situation, I have lots of doubts. I have lots of fears that creep in. And I have a lot of messy thoughts. Thoughts that probably should never be repeated. Like, like thoughts that only I should know about. Let me share one with you. Uh, <laughs> so when we used to live in Gun Barrel, I don't know what it was, but there was, <laughs> everyone's, every once in a while, we would be, I would be driving, we'd be driving to church on 175. And if you've been, from Athens on 175 to, to Gunboro or Maybank. Uh, it's just a two-lane divide, right? And so we're driving on the one side going to church, and sometimes there'd be these bicyclists, like a whole swarm of them, just, you know, riding. And, and so I'm driving, and my thoughts are thinking, no, I don't want to hurt anybody. But you know the game of dominoes? <laughs> If I just clip this one, if I just, you know, I, I could watch them all fall down and, and then, you know, be on my way and worship Jesus on Sunday. Um, true story. That's one of the more tame thoughts. Okay. Uh, but I'm pretty messy. How many are with me on that? If you were honest, that your inner world is pretty messy too. Show of hands. Oh, that's definitely definitely the majority. And if you're not raising your hands, you're a liar. <laughs> so, um, we make spiritual commitments all the time, don't we? Like, for instance, we make this. I know I do it all the time too. I'm going to stop doing this one thing. Okay, God, this is it. This this thing in my life, it's done. Fill in the blank for you. And we come on Sundays and we're charged up and we do that. And we're, uh, we go home. Three days later, something that thing happens again. And we're like, oh, happened again. Or I need to share forgiveness with someone. And because they, they just, they have control over my life because I've not extended that forgiveness. And I know that the next first time I see that person, I want to give them forgiveness. And the next time I see that person, what happens? I no way forgiving that guy. What he did to me or said to me. Oh. And then we're crushed by it. Well, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. You know, they say if you read three chapters a day, you can finish the Bible in a year. Mathematically, I guess that works out. And so if I were to start Genesis 1 to 3 today, this time next year, the whole Bible now under my belt, I can say I've read the whole Bible. And that's pretty cool. We say we believe the Bible. Like, have you read the whole thing? Uh, 
but I know it's true. <laughs> so I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. And then, man, Genesis. Genesis is one of my favorite books of the whole Bible. Okay, I've read that one and John maybe most in, than any of at the time over and over again. It's pretty cool. There's some neat things going on in Genesis. Exodus is kind of cool, too. Then I get to Leviticus. And, you know, when you get to the point where after the eighth sacrifice on the fourth hill with the third high priest, you're thinking, I'm a vegetarian. That's it. Um, no more of that. And, and we, and we feel, and we defeat it. We stop. We just stop that commitment. We're done. We're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> and here's what happens when we don't keep our commitments. What do we do? We hang our head low and we think to ourselves, I'm just not a good Christian. I mean, I made this commitment. And commitments are huge. They're big. And we need to keep our commitments. And I've made this. I didn't do it. I'm just not as strong as I think I am. How many of you said about that before? Um, one of the reasons why I love the Bible, it's, it's so full of spiritual superheroes, so to speak, um, that like Grayson's room was just one hot mess. And they're not afraid to tell you about it either. You go throughout scripture and man, they lay it out. Here is where I am stupid and a failure, but God is good. And I love that. Like, um, Paul in the New Testament, super passion is writing, just lays this out. Romans 7. He says what many of you and I kind of feel or think sometimes. Romans 7, 15. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And he keeps going with this too. What he's saying is, look, I don't really understand myself. Paul, one of the spiritual giants in the New Testament. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That's kind of what he's saying. Sound familiar? A lot of our stories. And he's torn of the fact that he just doesn't have it together sometimes. And the Bible's filled with this. The messy, the flaws that seem to never be edited out sometimes. You know who changes that? I think growing up, uh, listening to preachers and teachers, sometimes we'll leave the messy out. If we're honest. We'll give you, let's say, it's like Noah. The story of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We know Noah was strong, was faithful. I mean, think about it. Out of all the people in the world that God created, he says, you guys, I just hate the fact that I made you, but here's Noah. He's going to find grace in my eyes. And I'm going to redeem him. I'm going to save him and his family. So we think, wow, where would he spiritually to have God say that to him? High and lifted up. Man, and then he got to build. And then he got over a 100 years to share the, the truth with the people why he was building the boat. 
And then he gets in the boat, and, and you know what he does, and the first things he does when he gets off the boat? I mean, we have, we have the sacrifice, and we tell the stories to the children of the rainbows, and it's good, because we have to have discernment with children not to go any further in this story. But what happens with Noah? He gets drunk, and he gets naked. <laughs> and he's 600 years old, he should know better. <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> Could it be that Noah is strong and faithful, but sometimes he shows his messiness? You can look at the guys who walked with Jesus personally. We hold them up to a high regard, absolutely, like Paul. Um, but some of their stories are all too familiar. They're just ridiculous this time. Uh, turn to Matthew 26. And this is riddled with the people who were close to Jesus. And I'm going to be skipping around some verses here. But in, in 15, this is uh, Judas when he's betraying Jesus, one who walked with him. He says, and I asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. It's pretty messy. Skip down to 31. Jesus tells him this is, he's with his disciples and he tells them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flocks will all be scattered. All of you will fall away on account of me. He's telling me you're all going to be a little messy here. Verse 33, but Peter says, he replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And for those of you who know what keeps going, what does Peter really do? Absolutely. He denies Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. I didn't even know that man. Well, he's pretty messy, isn't he? Verse 38, Jesus goes and he says to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching me. So Jesus have some of his closest with him, and, he, and he's going, to, going about to pray, stay close and watch me, because his soul is so anguished by what's about to happen. He knows he's about to go to the cross for you and me. He knows that. And, and, he, and he's crushed by it. Stay here and keep watching me. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Not once, but twice. Right? Verse 51. This is after Jesus now... Gets arrested. The men step forward, seize Jesus and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Pretty messy. What about all the things Jesus has just said? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. And, and the first thing, ah, let's go. Not my Jesus. You're not taking him. These are the guys who walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, had him personally teach them. They saw the love, the compassion in his life. They saw him do miracles in front of them. They saw the miracles that his power allowed them to do. Yet we see that, man, they were just one hot mess. Why say all of this? Because if you are a mess, if you held your hand up earlier, then you and I have something in common with the guys who were closest to Jesus. You and I have something that... The people who were closest to our risen Savior have. Is that we're messy? 
now. I love the part in in the movies when we see like the first movie out of the three or four that they're going to make. The first one always tells the tale of the origin, like when they realize they had their superpower. Right? I mean, imagine being Superman and then realizing I can fly or I can shoot lasers out of my eyeballs. My breath is as cold as, you know, fill in the blank. Or I'm super strong. Or I'm super fast. I mean, the first time Superman realized that. I love stories like that. You see, you see the enlightenment. You see the, the fun. It's kind of quirky. It's a little messy. Uh, they're a little clumsy about it. But it, it's neat. And one of the coolest things in relation to me as, as a minister and, and seeing in my own life personally, but also in teenagers' life and other people's life, is that first moment that we realize that God's power c- can come through our mess. That realization that God can power through the mess is, is a great realization to have. And the moment that light bulb comes on is a really neat thing, really neat time. But he, here's the kicker, I think, that we, we can't be heroes until we realize that there's mess. Let's look. It's a great moment when we realize that God loves us in spite of our mess. And he, but he still invades us with his power. Look over with me at 1 Corinthians 15. Back to Paul. He's going to say some things that, again, shows his messiness in verse 9 through 10. He says this, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Even though I am, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But whatever I am now, it's not because of me or anything I did. It's because of God and his grace that he poured out on me. And none of this, even though I worked harder than all the rest of them, love how he says that. It was not me, but God working through me with his grace. It wasn't me and my mess. It was God's power through the mess. And he goes any further. Turn over to 2 Corinthians with me. Chapter 12. Verses 8 through 10. And we talked about this a little a few weeks ago. I'm not sure which week it was, but about Paul's thorn in the flesh that he mentions. And Pastor Dave told us that we don't really know what that is. No one really is in agreement about what it is. It could be emotional. It could be physical. But here he is um, talking to the Lord about this in Second Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's awesome. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, there's a verse to underline, isn't it? For when I am weak, then I am strong. My power is greatest in my weakness, is what he's saying. It's okay to have all this junk and mess. Hmm. Speaking of junk and mess, uh, pull the garage picture up. This is a picture of my garage. Sorry, Karen. Now, 90% of this is my dad's stuff that we brought over. So we're still working through it, but that's pretty messy, right? So I have to tell myself when I'm going through that his power is greatest in this because it's going to take it's going to take some patience for sure. Okay, you take that off. My power is greatest in my weakness. And Paul says this when when we finally get our arms around, when we finally come to grip, we kind of terms with our our mess in our life and stop trying to run from it. Then we realize that it's Jesus trying to run towards us to put His arms around us, to come to grips with us. A lot of the time, we think we're messing up in our inner world. It's just kids just junk up like a scene from Hoarders, which, by the way, that's just my dad's stuff. I'm not really hoarding. That Jesus pushes us away, but really. That's not the case. That's not what the scripture teaches. We have mess and we know we have mess. God is not pushing us away because this is no. He wants to hold us closer. He wants to help us in the midst of that mess. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything that Jesus condones or uh, even agrees with in a biblical lifestyle. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. He doesn't condone it, but he does take care of it. He doesn't condone it, but he does have power through it. He redeems it. Once we come to grips with that, it's so special. Because we realize that our mess is actually spiritual fertilizer, so to speak. And the ladies in a couple weeks are going to be having a porch party. They're going to be planting some plants. And when I was young, I remember going onto all these different places on on these people's lands and grabbing cow patties. Cow patties to put in my dad's compost thing so he can grow his cucumbers and tomatoes. Snap peas, I think. And so we had those things. So I remember going and grabbing these things, sticking them in the trash bag. And and I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing? Grabbing all this waste so that we can have food later on? It just sounds weird, doesn't it? But Jesus uses a lot of plant illustrations, there's just just one, that our mess is actually spiritual fertilizer, that when we go through troubling times, when we go through hard times, it could be a catalyst for spiritual growth. It could be something that we dig down deep and just get into our life, come to grips with it, so that God can take that and now redeem it, and God could take that and power through our mess. God can use that mess to make us holy, to make us grow. And that's his desire for us, right? Following Jesus is being transformed to resemble the one we're following. And since Jesus is holy, he wants us to be too. And holiness just means set apart. And there's there's a couple parts to that. One, there's kind of like a positional holiness. Some people call it 
um, or justification, we call it justification, too, is this idea that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's a salvation that happens already, right? That, that nothing we do saves us, but all the things that's placed upon Jesus at the cross, his righteousness, his blood that covers. Now, our sin has now made us holy in God's sight. So when he looks down upon us, he doesn't see us, he sees his son. And that positionally makes us justified or in right standing with God. Right? But there's also a section that I'm talking about, like what next? What, what, what happens now? Because we know that some of that mess that we had even before, that time we placed our faith in Christ, doesn't go away. Sometimes it has to work itself out. That my character, my lifestyle, my thoughts, my actions all have to be moving towards becoming holy. And it's, you know, following Jesus being transformed to be like the one we are being transformed into. So it's really, how do we look like Jesus? So, do you remember Polaroid cameras? Do you know they're coming back in style? Now, I remember, in fact, most of the pictures we went through at my dad's house were Polaroids. Uh, we had one of the big old clunky ones. Um, show the picture of the Polaroid. This is the newer Polaroid. Oh, no. That's okay. what that is. That's not a Polaroid camera. Did I not have the camera on there? Oh, whoops. Well, we know what the Polaroid camera looks like, right? You take a snap, out comes the picture, and you have this picture that's going to develop right before your eyes. It's amazing. And uh, I bet the teenagers are like, whoa, I need that. <laughs> that looks new. Um, it's been around for years, and that's all we have. So so this is kind of what... Okay, go ahead and show the picture. This is kind of the picture about the time I gave my life to Christ, what I look like. And so God said, you know what? That's not good looking enough. So what do we do with Polaroid pictures? To make them develop. Shake them. Shake, 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 shake. So, so God has been shaking me, shaking me, shaking me. Next picture. Because so, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Like the Hulk, right? Uh, you, you don't want to see me when I'm mad. I, I'm not there. So he continues to shake and shake to get me closer where I need to be. And, and it's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's looking better each time. Right? Next one. I mean, it's just getting closer and closer and closer until that picture, what God's desire and what wills is finally to look like this one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What he says with every shake is, I love you and I am not going to let you stay where you are. You are looking at my life. I mean, really know some of the things, like I said, my thoughts. I gave you a tame one. There's some things I've done or said. You would think God's arm is getting pretty tired with me. But if we're honest, you might think about the same yourself. The good thing is God's arm doesn't tire. He keeps shaking. I'm going to change you into something more beautiful. In the second part of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, says this. So then the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. He wants to change us to look like Him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't have to wait till you're all cleaned up in order to 
experience God's transformation, his love for you. Okay, because you hear this all the time. Like, well, when I, when I do this, then I'll, then I'll worry about God. When this is taken care of in my life, fill in the blank, right? And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Biblically and theologically speaking, it makes no sense to get cleaned up before someone comes in and cleans you up. <laughs> right? It, it makes no sense to me. And I know I'm going to say this as a guy. So, but... <laughs> Ever so often we have someone come help us clean our house. And I think the first time we talked to Fran Smith, because I think she had someone help her. And, and she, I remember her telling uh, Karen on the phone and Karen telling me that some, sometimes you just need a little help. And so, but man, I didn't like those moments. Because what do we do the night before the lady comes to clean my house? We clean the house. Why? I never understood that, Karen. Um, we, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense theologically why we do anything better. You're thinking, some of you are like, it makes perfect sense. They don't need to see my junk. Right? And that's what we think with God. Oh, no one needs to see this stuff. We need to get right before we get right. No. If you've never placed your trust in Christ, and it, this, it, you know, it doesn't make sense. Jesus does, you don't have to clean up first with Jesus. Some people can become spiritually paralyzed because of their mess when it doesn't have to be that way. Think, think about the family for a second. I think, I think we should expect a mess sometimes, right? Like, we have one sinner marrying another sinner, and then they have sinners. And the process continues over and over again. So if we have just a bunch of sinners in the household, could we expect anything less than a mess? No, but don't be defeated by it. And, and there's a, a few ways we can go about being defeated. Uh, the, the first is that we could just not care anymore. Like a withdrawal. Like we give up from the church or our ministries or serving. And we say, you know what, I'm just, all this stuff is just piling on me. So I really need to just back off on all this stuff because nothing seems to be working anyway. Kind of attitude. And if we have that kind of apathy, it affects everything in our life, our character, our wisdom, our peace. And guys, there's too much at stake to go down that path. And the second one that I see is that some people just wear a mask. That they have the mess on the inside, but on the outside, man, you wouldn't know it. How many people know someone like that? (laughs) Yeah, I think we all do. I can't even say honestly that I wasn't that person. And we've seen this, right? People who always seem to have a smile on their face and everything's always so grand. Yeah, but didn't your father just die? Yes, but he's with the Lord now, so I'm happy about it. Didn't you just have to put your dog down? Yes, but he just needed a puppy angel. Praise the Lord. Give him praise. Right? And that's a little exaggerative. But in the, in the, in the inner world, they're just, they're just, they're just kind of dying inside. 
And they lack real relationships because what happens is when you put on a mask, when you act like everything's okay on your outer world, when you have an inner mess, what do people getting to know? The fictional character you made. They're not getting to know you. And, and I know for me when I was young, I was defeated by these people. Because there were times in my life I needed someone, accountability, I needed things, I needed questions, answer. Um, but there were some people who, that, that had this persona of always being perfect and always having their life together that I was just scared to talk to. I was scared to talk to them because I didn't have it all together. And how in the world would they know what I'm going through? How in the world could they even relate? How can they even share any kind of wisdom? And I didn't want judgment on me. Like, oh, you what? You were thinking what? You did what? So, who is the real you? Should be sharing the mess about our own life with real people. And I guarantee you change can come. And on the other side, there was a man who, when I started going to church when I was young, about the age that showed the picture, um, it really helped us out with the youth. Um, champion of the faith to me. Right, one of the greatest piano players I've ever heard. Honestly, he would tell the story of how, you know, uh, once he gave his life to Christ, he never played piano again, except for personally, never in front of anybody, because it always reminded him of his past. He said, and in my past, you know, he toured with a band in Thailand, doing lots of drugs, being with lots of women. And every time he played the piano, it, you know, in front of people would remind him of that time and take him to a dark place he never wanted to be at. And this guy, man, you heard when he prayed, boy, he prayed. You know those people. You're like, whoa. When he taught, there was transformation. And, and you know that he's got this past of drugs and alcohol. And I looked at him and thought, well, I could do that. He gives me hope. And so I talked to him, right? Still a champion, still strong with the Lord. Because following Jesus is not all grins and giggles, is it? It's like a, I've heard it said, like a construction zone, right? When we place our faith in Christ for the first time, it's like a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Everyone's around, and they're all children. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the angels, yes, yes, another one come home, woo! absolutely and the holy spirit what he does he comes in there with the blueprints he says okay what do we got to do to build this thing how far do we have to shake (laughs) and they start making and you've seen a construction site before it's bumpy there's nails everywhere there's rocks there's dirt it's just a mess but what happens when it's all cleaned up it's beautiful and that's why i love this church you can look around i personally have not seen a lot of judgment i see a bunch of different people coming together who are messy who haven't figured it out like me and um that's cool and god is interested not in this kind of gymnastic idea where we try to play this part but a desire to get to know him and god is still shaking for me i know he's still shaking for you too I love this church because it's filled with messy people who have seen God's power through the mess.
I look in, I look around, and I've I've heard the testimonies um, publicly in front of everybody. I've heard some of them personally. That I see God's work diving into your inner messy life and hammering out heroes. Let me tell you guys, I'm looking at a bunch of heroes. And if God began a good work in you, then he's going to continue that hammering out. He's going to make that construction zone beautiful. He's going to make that Polaroid picture look just like his image that he made to begin with in the garden. So Philippians 1.6, again, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And our students will be learning something along that line when they go to camp. But for us, though, I'll tell you what, when life hits hard, my, I have an emotional roller coaster when my life gets hard, okay? Um, I am by no means perfect. <laughs> but when mess hits my life, when junk, when strongholds of, of you know, activity start setting into my life, I have this roller coaster emotion. Sometimes I can be with God and I'm praying and I'm reading the Bible and there's just this peace that I have got you, I love you, I am shaking it out right now. There's things happening around you that you don't see that's for your favor, that's for my glory, that you don't understand yet. And you won't, but you'll get to praise me about it later. So stay firm, stand firm, continue in this work, keep going, okay? I have got you, and there's this peace. And then, and then, like an hour later, <laughs> like, like an hour later, I feel shipwrecked again. Like my sails are tattered and torn. Even though all around me, God just said, look where you're standing. White sands, beautiful beach, a hammock. But what do I focus on? Oh. In this emotional roller coaster. So I want to encourage you today, because I know I'm not alone in this, that when life hits hard and there's just a bunch of mess Realize that God will not stop until he is finished. And thank God, because he's the one that has the power to do it. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, I don't want you to get cleaned up before. Before you come to him. You can place your trust in him right now. Remember, it's a positional thing that we trust in him and then he comes in and cleans. And for those of you who are in the middle of a mess or are coming out of mess or know you're about to go into one, remember these words of encouragement that God is still there and he has power through your mess. Let me pray for us. Most Holy Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for your um, your kindness that leads us to repentance. Your your loving words when the ship's sailing and it feels like we're about to get sunk in the water. Lord, how you pull us out. And Lord, if, if, some of us are in the middle of the storm right now. We're in the middle of just a mess and all the junk in our life that we don't want to share with anybody, especially our thoughts on it. Sometimes we're angry at you. Sometimes we just wonder 
why you even allow this stuff to happen if you love us so much, God. I know that's just deceitfulness from the enemy trying to tear us down even more. That I pray for your power through our mess. I pray for your words of wisdom through your, through your scripture to come just ever glaring in our souls and our minds. Let people surround themselves around us and help lift us up so we can see the pristine waters around us that you're preparing and not the tattered sails. It's in Jesus' name I pray.